that's the next, I think, Achilles heel on our end. It's like, hold on a second. That data is important, but stop where you're at right now and just look around your lot. See what's going on. Again, if you're heavy in 2018s, why don't you address that issue and not worry about what the dealer's doing down the street? Don't wait around for the up bus. Get in the driver's seat and take control of your operations. Are you ready to increase profitability, have better processes, and get proactive with your operations? Welcome to the Up Boss Podcast. Here's your hosts, Jason Harris and Jason Rice. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here with Jason Rice. That is correct. You heard it. You get Jason and Jason today, a double dose of Jason. We are here to uh, introduce to you a very new, very, very exciting podcast series that the two of us are going to be doing together. It is called The Up Bus. Sorry, I can't say it without a straight face. <laughs> How many times, like, I, heck, I even got yelled at, I can guarantee you, by my management team at some point. I'm just standing outside waiting for someone to come and someone to go, Jason, what are you doing? You waiting for the up bus? What's going on? <laughs> you know? But I, I think that our industry right now, there are a fair amount of people out there that are kind of stuck sitting there at that, at that bus stop waiting for something to happen. And, you know, this podcast is about not waiting, but being proactive. We want you to get in, take control, grab the steering wheel, shift this thing into gear. All right. And let's push our operations to another level. Jason, I'm excited to do this with you, man. This is awesome. Can't wait. You know, it's funny, you know, over the last few years, anybody new to the business, they might not have had to worry about the up bus or even know what it is. You know, customers are just coming in the door. That's totally true. I mean, think about that. Um, I just read an article actually just recently that the 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 average salesperson now has a, just just a little over two and a half years of experience in the industry. The average salesperson, yeah, which means that for the last to your point, the last you know twenty four almost thirty six months now, um, they did have, the buses were coming in, weren't they? They were yeah, literally yeah. coming in, and um, but but you know what? We've been in the business long enough to remember that you can't just sit around and wait for this thing. You got to be proactive um, and you got to take control of that proverbial up bus. And that is what this whole series is about. And we're going to take it from the perspective of process, um, leadership, um, strategies, how your culture affects it. You know, we're going to take it from many, many different angles. But I am so, so excited. Just, I know we've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm so stoked. And I think we have like the coolest logo for this. I just I like it. I like this logo. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, today's for our first episode, we're going to talk about the evolution of used car inventory management. All right, insights from the up bus. Um, man, used car inventory management. I got thinking about this when I said this was going to be our first topic today. And the first thing that came to my mind was the Rolodex, <laughs> right? Like, I'm like, how was like, what's the original model, uh, like the OG inventory management model? Like, what was kind of your first, uh, ex- or I guess, introduction to used car inventory management? You remember? Man, it's been a while, but no, I mean, obviously just. I don't know about the Rolodex, but, you know, just have an Excel spreadsheet printed up with all the, the, the vehicle information on it, sorted by age, you know, and basically checking little boxes or crossing them off as they sold and stuff like that. And 
maybe update the pricing manually on, on that piece of sheet and keep it in your back pocket. Um, but as a salesman, a lot of times you didn't get that copy with the pricing or cost on it or anything. You just got the vehicle information, the miles and things like that. But, um, no, it's gone, it's come a long way. You know, I remember back in 05 when I joined Dale Pollock at Viato, it wasn't even Viato then it was Empower Auto to that point. Uh, Empower Auto was how scoring your inventory out on how you owned it, the wholesale and, um, the cars that you own bad, the wholesale get off faster. It was like a grade of 50 meant you own the car bad to wholesale. So get off of it, but in 80 or 90, you owned it good to wholesale. So maybe keep it around. But then we realized at that point in time, again, you're talking 06, 05, 06, that, you know, you're not there to wholesale most of your inventory at that time. It's mostly there to retail it. So we started looking at retail data. Um, you know, and again, that's shoot what 15, 18 years ago or 18 years ago. And still, even that would have been proactive for, you know, the time. Like, I mean, I remember, you know, working, you know, my first sales job was in the used car side of the business. Right. And, um, I did have a very typical, you know, used car manager, uh, we'll call it very typical in the sense of let's call it stereotypical mm-hmm. used car manager, you know, smoke cigars, um, spent a lot of time in his office, spent a lot of time drinking coffee and doing scratch tickets. Um, <laughs> you know, and I remember, you know, uh, the strategy for management was just the way that we had to move the lot around. Right. So I remember there specifically being seven rows of vehicles. All right. And I knew just based on where the vehicle was, was how much my commission on that car was going to be. Oh yeah. So, you know, you know, I you know which cars to walk around then, huh? Well, that's, I, that's how he managed it. It was pretty obvious, right? I know if I could stay away from the last three rows, then I was safe. And I was going to make some decent money. Otherwise than that, I avoided those things like the plague. And I remember if it hit the eighth row, that's when his Rolodex came out. And he did. He legit of Jimmy had a Rolodex of wholesalers. He would flip through. All right. And then start pinging them off one at one at one at a time. time. And uh, but but to your point, I mean, that's that's changed a lot. I mean, you're talking even 15 years ago of just kind of magic, uh, you know, managing it, you know, from an age perspective. Um, you know, what do you think from, let's call it, cause I think there was some, there were some fundamental shifts, right? Let's call it like early 2000 and, you know, even early 2000s, people still didn't necessarily have their websites. You know, it was still, you know, some people did, some people didn't, you know, and then I feel like by, you know, you start getting into late 2000s, 08, 09, 2010, things changed again. What did you see kind of during that time frame? Well, I'll pull it back even a little bit further. I started selling in June of 1997. And the funny thing is, I didn't like being out on the point waiting on the up bus, right? Back then, we had to be out on the point. You know, there's probably three to five of us standing in this little spot in the lot waiting for customers to pull up. And the first one that made that move, you know, got the customer. And I start watching plates and stuff, waiting to see if I'm, you know, if their plate was up this month or last month, you know, because uh, their plate's about expired. That's I figured it's a deal and that kind of stuff. But I like sitting inside, uh, not because of the of the heat or anything. I just like being inside working the phone. I'm like, this is mm-hmm. a lot easier. A matter of fact, I got to the point, Hey, if you see a bunch of guys out there uh, at the, uh, on the lot, when you pull in this tell them they're my greeters, just tell them you're here to see me. And so I liked working the phone so much that they in 98, so six months into selling cars off the lot, uh, waiting on the up bus, um, they said, Hey, do you want to try this internet thing? We're going to try internet. So back in 98 and stuff, we did have a website and we got leads faxed to us and everything like that. But um, you know, the transition of that nowadays, again, is the up us showing up that much or even ups, you know, typically there are yes. already appointments or they already called, they've already submitted lead or information on, you know, what kind of payment they're looking at. So, 
um, yeah, there's a huge transition. But what's weird is, too, is a couple things, you know, that business model with following up with customers really hasn't changed over the 25 years uh, that we're looking at now. Yeah. And um, 24, yeah, years. So, you know, we typically follow up with leads based on the age of lead. It's a fresh lead, so we're all over it. By the time it's aged, they're 30 days old, pretty much given up on it. And um, so that strategy has really never changed, um, which is a shame because, again, as we're, we're pulling back the curtain, it's like we should be managing leads a little bit differently. And, you know, the hard part is, it, 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 again, the basics haven't changed. The no. hard part is, um, you know, we've... The customers are changing a little bit because, you know, um, shoot, I remember in 05, I would actually post invoice on my website on new cars. Oh, no, that's that, was, that was a big deal, right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, when it was, and I mean, I can explain that story and how I did that but uh, and why. But, you know, customers are more educated now, obviously, and now 90 See that there we go. See, I think that's the big transition there, right? Because, you know, uh, I got into the business 99. Um, my dealership had their website by 2000. And, you know, this that 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 beginning part of the 2000s, you know, was kind of that fundamental change in the way that we managed our inventory, because it didn't necessarily just have to do with the eight rows that they were physically going to come onto the lot and see. Now there was no such thing. There was no such thing as kind of an organized eight rows. Like, let me start you up here at row one and I'll work yeah. you back to, to row eight. You didn't have that online, right? The cars were just there. And then people, you know, started to just call in or fax. I still remember fax. Yes, I do. Yeah. Fax leads, you know, um, but you know, I remember, you know, kind of my first internet, you know, let's call it deal right like the guy um it was a 90 inquired about this 97 ford bronco you know and i remember it because all i could think was like oj simpson at the time um and it was because it was white it was it was that white yeah. one right and it was like i knew this car already sold but i had this i, I had this idea that you know of course he was going to come in I, I knew it just sold you know an hour or so prior to him coming in but i had this yellow pontiac aztec that I was sure as shit going to switch into, <laughs> you know, but that, but that was the type of strategy we had to come up with at that time, because you couldn't just get them to the lot and then just work your way through the eight rows. Like you had to have something in mind. And I feel like, you know, having that strategy of switch vehicles kind of really started, you know, when people were inquiring about a specific, but then you knew you had to have something you could switch them to when they got to the lot. Do you think that's about the time that that, that model started? Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, I'll give you one example, too. And so I, from 97 to about 2000, I was at a Ford store and I got I sold a car to a lady in Alaska. Here I am in the Internet yeah, Department yeah. in the 90s doing that. Right. And so the, the funny part was, was, you know, to buy it and ship it to Alaska, it was cheaper. She had family in town. I was in St. Louis, Missouri, and I think it was Jefferson City or something. She had family in. So she, we got a hold of each other again, first through the internet call and she put a deposit down on an ordered unit and, and then it got there and we sat on a little bit till her, she'd get a flight there. I picked her up at the airport and I think it was a, a Ford Taurus wagon. I can remember like a maroon one or something. And I picked her up at the airport and she was going to drive to go see her family and then go drive it home to Alaska, you know, and, 
you know, that's again, that transition happened back then. And that's again, why I did invoice on our website at that point in time, customers were learning. Um, and there's like beat the car salesman.com websites and stuff. Nice. And, and customers are online learning, you know, invoice and that, that type of information. And so we, we got to the point on the internet, we would tell them, say, for example, you, Yukons and Yukon Denali's, I think at that point in time, they're 40, 50 grand. Now they're a hundred, but you know, you, you would, I would tell a customer, Hey, we'll do a thousand over invoice. And then my, my quoted price was 500 to a thousand higher than what they seen as invoice online. And it was because we had 2% advertising fees, you know, sure. so on a, on a 50 grand car, that's a thousand dollars. So, um, they thought I was lying and, and so forth. So I like, you know what, screw it. They're going to come to my website anyways, and then they're going to leave and go see what invoice is. And then they come back to me and argue, why don't we just put invoice on our site and, and nip it in the bud and cut out the middleman and just say thousand over invoice. And it made it easier for our team too to quote prices. We'd say, Hey, 500 over on Grand Prix invoice at, at you know, on Grand Am's behind invoice on Aztecs to your point. Right. And so, um, it made us easier to more tran- transparent back then. But yeah, it all happened in that. It all, it all happened in that, that 2000, 2010 timeframe. And then, but what I thought was, when I'm thinking of used car inventory management, uh, I think by, certainly by 2010, um, and I'm thinking 07, 08, 09, 10, um, my used car lot fundamentally changed. Right. Oh, well, definitely with the cash car car program and everything that came in. But 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 I, the fun thing is, I wasn't just um, I wasn't just filling my lot for my local audience as much as this, you know, statewide and in some case national audience. You know, um, at that time, I got real fixated on Tacomas, and I just was fascinated with them. I was fascinated with the resale value on them and so on and so forth. And, you know, I remember going for, you know, four months of, you know, having 30 pre-owned Tacomas on my lot and people inquiring from all over the country, you know, on these Tacomas, you know, and so, so like the, the, the idea of what kind of evolved as far as the way we managed, we weren't just managing based on my local stuff because I couldn't sell that many Tacomas. Dude, I was, I was living in Southwest. I was in New Mexico. All right. It was, it was Chevys and Fords. Right. And that was it. Nobody was buying Tacomas, you know, so that fundamentally changed. You remember when that shifted for you as well, when it's just like all of a sudden your used car lot can now become a regional or more national lot? Well, I, here, I guess I was blessed too, was yes and no. And what I mean by that is, I, again, I, I started with Dale in 2005 uh, at Empower yeah. Auto, which transitioned to V Auto, uh, as you know, because we, we realized you're there to retail cars. So, 06, 07, 08, 09, 2010, I was actually visiting thousands of dealerships all over the country, watching yeah. Chrysler franchises get lost, you know, dealers losing their franchises. They had to be better used car operators, uh, again, with the recession and cash for clunkers and trying to help dealers weed through that. Um, so I was on the personal side, I wasn't at a, or on the dealer side, I wasn't in a store selling used cars, but literally stepped in thousands of dealerships and they had to become better used car operators because new cars, you know, went from whatever, 15 million, 13, 14, 15 million down to 10. And it took three or four years to get back to the level that we're selling at. The other, the other tricky thing back then, we were, we were destroying more cars than being built. So typically 12 million cars get destroyed and only 10 or 11 new cars came into the market. So we're in a net negative in those years. 
Um, so not only did you have to be a better used car operator, again, the, the supply demand indexes on that was a little bit trickier. And um, we had to change a lot of strategies, even how we appraised the car. You know, if we go on to appraise a car trying to make two to three grand on every car, we weren't getting any because, again, no. what they're wholesaling for. But yet being in a recession, you couldn't demand a ton of money, a ton of money for it either. So the margin compression was so tight on that stuff back then. So, you know, I, that was a blessing. You know, again, well, I didn't. It was, it was a big shift. It was a, it was yeah. a blessing that was there. And then and then, you know, and then I'm kind of thinking, you know, then you get into kind of 2010. And then for me, I think it was like from 2010 to 2020. And you mentioned it actually is, you know, when, you know, it, it was it was it was all about becoming better operators. You know, it was just, you know, it was the, I think the evolution, this is actually a perfect segue kind of into our next topic, because I think one of the biggest things that evolved between 2010 and 2020, um, in addition to not only how we managed our inventory and what inventory we were buying, because new pieces of technology were coming out and giving us better insights as far as appraisals, and, you know, expecting three, four, five thousand $5,000 grosses, you know, like it was prior to that was going away, you know, but I think the biggest thing that evolved in that between 2010 and 2020 is the used car manager and what was and today is a used car manager and what were the responsibilities of it you know this is i i've mentioned this before i think the transition between plaid sport jackets and <laughs> wall street day traders you know because that's how i kind of think i think of some of the most progressive used car managers out there right now i would consider them more arbitrage of attention and time than than just the inventory they understand more of the nuances of how they're moving metal than just the metal itself you know i think you know we had this old saying you know you know you know don't fall in love with with something right and that was yeah. like because you know, you'd fall in love with a car right oh it's a green puff i'm gonna hold on to this thing and i think between 2010 and 2020 you saw operators evolve to not just holding on to inventory but understanding you know how to properly move inventory and you were knee deep kind of in some of the technologies that were supporting that so i'd love to kind of get your thoughts of how you think that kind of evolved during that time frame yeah again you know dale pollock brought in you know the velocity mindset of inventory mm -hmm. management and the money ball approach you know don't get tied up in the beauty of the car look at the numbers you know rather give base hits on or you know based on balls <laughs> or you know uh, on base percentage than the home runs and so the the transition there but that was tough you know we had to go up i had to go up against and we as the company too had to go up against a bunch of old school car guys who knew more than the market right and mm -hmm. and fair to be said that you should as a as an inventory manager you should know a little bit of that a lot of that stuff too right you know examples you know you got an 18 f-150 but it's got 18 inch wheels and the small screen and a bench seat that's a way different truck than if it's captain's chairs 20 inch wheels and the big touchscreen, right so different packages so you should have some of that insight but uh, nine times out of 10, you're not beating the mark. And we always used to say the worst thing to happen to a used car manager when he makes, you know, three grand on a, on a hundred day old car. because they think they can do that again. And so, you know, to take people from that mindset to transition to kind of looking and understanding the data, at least, and appreciating what's there uh, to make more decisions based off of that in the market than just your gut instincts. Um, you know, that whole transition, yeah, it was tough. And, and, you get to the point now, I see a lot of stores where it's just a manager doing price changes or yes. used car managers. At, uh, only job is to maybe appraise cars and go buy some. And then the desk managers are doing it from there. Um, you know, we're at the point where we even have some of our clients that have us do price changes for them. You know, so, 
and, and just trust us that we're going to make those decisions. And, you know, they'll give us red flags on particular vehicles that they don't want moved or deals that they're working. But um, it's not, a you know, it comes down to is it a commodity or, or what is it? But, you know, a lot of these, especially prior to COVID, some yes. of them are a lot of rental rockets and stuff, you know, a refrigerator white Malibu, 18 Malibu that you got from Enterprise that every other dealer has 20 of them, too. You know, that that is, you know, it's just you got to get off that thing as soon as possible. Um, but I always, you know, what we ran into a lot and I called it the Obama strategy because he ran off of hope <laughs> and change. And you run into a lot of managers that either hope they can, you know, when they take their inventory, they can either hope that somebody comes in and pays too much money on it or that the market's going to change and make this car position better for some reason. And, and that's typically not the best strategy to run with. And you got all the information to do it. You know, from there, it's just pride and ego that you go, OK, maybe, yeah, well, maybe I don't know as much as I thought I did. Well, it, look, it, it, the fundamental thing is I think, you know, it became a, a more of a game of technology and insights, right? Like you, you definitely still needed the experience, but but you had access now. And I'm thinking, you know, it started in 2010, evolved all the way through 2020. All right. And like I said, this is a, another good segue in kind of our third topic here, uh, because it's the, evolu the evolution of the data and technology at our fingertips that I, I think is is really changed the way that we run, operate, build, and manage, you know, our, our used car lots. I mean, I can't, I can't be honest with you, Jason. I, I, I don't think I could run a used car lot right now without some of the tools and the dashboards and technologies and reports that I have. I mean, I'd be not saying that I could, I, I, I think I, it just, there's too much change happening at yeah. such a fast rate. And for me not to know, you know, I, I remember, you know, uh, the velocity, I remember reading the book, you know, and just, you know, being able to have this insights, not just what I have, but to see what other people had. Yeah. And that was like a, I mean, that was a mind shift. It was like, holy cow, not could I just go back on my own historical data of what I've sold and what I sold it for and what my reconditioning expenses were and so on and so forth. Now I can look at everybody else's and see how many times, how, what's a day on days on lot on their side and, you know, different parts of the country. And I mean, wow. I mean, uh, so, so I, I guess my, my, my question is, is um, where did you see, you know, kind of that, that big shift from, from just, looking at just one dealership's data to now be able to have access to a nation's worth of data. And how do you think that affected, you know, the way that we run, operate and manage, you know, our used cars, our used car stores? Well, it's about 10 years ago, it'll be 10 years in September when I stepped away and started doing lot pop stuff here. And that's mm -hmm. where, you know, I start focusing more on what's happening at that dealer's lot, you know, versus the market data. Yes. And as I transitioned through looking at, you know, I, I do, because here we, we, you're hesitant on just looking at your own historical data. And what I mean by that is, you know, I would preach it to dealers. It's like, Hey, if you sell, you know, you carry red cars, you sell red cars, we're going to tell you to buy more red cars. And you didn't know the blue cars are moving faster. Right. right. So I get that strategy that you want to continue not to just be, you know, put the blinders on of what's happening on your lot, open them up to see what the other dealers are able to do. Um, but there is a profile to a dealer, you know, and I, you know, I like saying control the controllables. So I think the dealers need to understand what is happening on their lot first and then pivot to this, this market data. Um, Cause here's the other challenge is, is um, you know, within the last, 
again, 10 years here, but we're seeing more and more, um, I would say struggle with the market data. Uh, I've had some email confirmations, you know, from even like cars.com that 39% of the inventory listed online is inaccurate, meaning mm -hmm. missing trim, tranny, key features and stuff. And so as we got wrapped up in all this market data, kept put our blinders on to the, just the market data, um, we start peeling back those layers and like, well, hold on a second. You know, here's a here's a 2018 F-150 that's listed as a Lariat. Uh, but obviously by the photos, it's a cloth bench seat. That's not a Larry. It's an XLT. So the okay. price of 43 grand, is that relevant? Because it's not a Larry. It's probably, you know, so do I price my Larry? And, you know, unless I go click on every car in that competitive set to validate that that's not happening, that every Larry is there and there is a Larry. If not, if I just look at the collective data, I think I might have to drop my my true lariat on my lot three grand to match the toyota dealer's lariat that's marked wrong of course the other thing that we're, yeah and so the other thing we're starting to see matter of fact we're in kansas city market here uh, we're seeing a lot in this market and it's probably legal and most and probably legal here is a lot of dealers are listing cars with um within the comments saying you know at 20 grand let's say or 30 grand they got the car listed at 30 grand and then the comments it says price does not include two grand uh, trade-in allowance or two grand financing with the dealership. So basically you're telling the customer it's really 22 grand. But when we look at market data, it's scraping 20 or 30 grand, whatever, you know, they have listed as. So um, that's the next, I think, Achilles heel on our end. It's like, hold on a second. That data is important, but stop where you're at right now and just look around your lot, see what's going on. Again, if you're heavy in 2018s, why don't you address that issue and not worry about what the dealer's doing down the street? Or what if you're having large pickup trucks? Let's isolate those issues and, and, and figure out what trucks on your lot are causing the biggest issue. Or heaven forbid, you got a 2018, that's a large pickup truck. Now it's got two things are going against it on your lot. Figure out which of those 18 large pickup trucks are the biggest issue. And then maybe pivot to that market data to help you make some decisions. So you know, that's again where we're struggling a bit is I do think we need to slow down a little bit and quick getting and then the wholesale markets change, ever changing. Oh right? my gosh. 100%. You can't keep ahead of this stuff. No. And the car I priced at hundred percent retail market last week is now 103%. Not that I went in there and raised my price, but the market moved faster than I did. And again, is it relevant? Is it relevant that the Honda store just dropped their price a grand on their F one fifty that's eighty days old? Versus my F-150 that's two days old and I'm a Ford store, you know, so. Well, and even if the data is correct in the first place, to, to to your point, you know, right, is how accurate is that trim level data? Or the the price, if they're saying, hey, you got to trade or it's two grand more, you know. So, so we, so we saw this evolution where we went super heavy in really looking and understanding the market data and making decisions based off that market data. And not saying that we don't. Sometimes blindly. Yes. 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 So, well, no, a hundred percent. Right. I actually just had a friend uh, make a mistake on a Mercedes E53 AMG. All right. Um, it's if the E class is the same pulls up as an E63, there's just a 53 and a 63, but they're both pulled up as AMGs, but very, very different vehicles. You're talking a $20,000 swing in the engine itself. Right. And made a big mistake um and you know we're talking a good nine thousand dollar mistake and yeah. uh, again because just looking on market data made a decision off something that's just you know on something that he didn't necessarily because look it was a honda store not a mercedes store 
you yeah. know, did he fundamentally know that? So, I mean, I think getting back to your point now, it's like, yes, we went through this evolution where, you know, we went really heavy with understanding market data. And then some people did very, were very, very successful with that. Now we're coming around layering that market data, but really focusing on, you know, kind of the original strategy was just working that lot, you know, and what we can do in that lot. I know you've said this many times and I love this so much. And I think this is what kind of the, the next move for, um, for, for how we manage the lot is, you know, we work the lot, not the lead, you know, because I know we've talked about this a few times before, and you've told me the, the stat out there is that almost 60% of leads that are coming in are coming in on sold vehicles. I think that's well, no, they're not coming in on sold vehicles. They submit a lead, and then a week or two later, that car they want it is sold. So it's, it's no sold. Available. Yeah, but, but, the, the, but that person's still in market. As and far as we know, we're yeah. just ignoring yeah. them. Exactly. So. And let's go back a little bit. I will go backwards, go forward. We're talking about, you know, solely looking at market data. Again, it's kind of like this new AI thing, you know, chat GPT oh, and all this stuff, right? And we're all in and we're going to, you know, we're like, man, this is awesome. It's going to change the industry. At some point in time, we're going to step back and go, hold on a second. You know, this isn't real. This isn't reality. And this is taking my job or it's taking this away. And we're going to have to step back and then refocus on how we want to utilize it. But right now we're all in. And sign of, again, it's kind of like that market data. It took three to five years to get the market and the managers and the people to go, okay, this is cool. Let me start looking. And then they did five years of six years of, oh man, market day. And then just making decisions off it. And it's like, all right, hold on. All right. Now this is going to, you can be hurting yourself by just looking at this and not really, again, that's where we got to step back a little bit and still have some of that used car gut instincts and their understanding of the market. And, and again, to your point, the cars and the packages and the differences in equipments and stuff. And that's the hardest part too nowadays is there's so many different cars, so many different features, so many different packages. Yes. And if you're not a good, if you don't know Toyotas, you don't know Mercedes, you're going to make or Teslas or electric cars even worse. You're not going to understand these dynamics. So um, you can't just blindly just throw it out there and look at market data on a Tesla. You got to understand the battery life and all the other stuff. Well, so to the point there, but, you have need a process. It's not yeah, just exactly. one single thing, which is, you know, you, well, you coined it as the lot walk, right? The things that we need to kind of look at to continue to manage our lot. And, and, and that goes on that strategy. And that goes a lot while let's go back transitioning to lead management. You know, when you're looking around in 2018s or large pickup trucks, yep. if you're heavy in large pickup trucks and they're bleeding through on your lot, especially late models, which are happening right now, F-150s, Rams, they're sitting on dealers' lots. So if you have a problem with large pickup trucks and if you have any leads on those trucks, how often would you want to call and email those leads? Well, every day, uh, every dealer would tell me every day, every other day. Okay, well, is your CRM set up to call a 30-day-old truck lead every day, every other day? No. It's, you're only going to call fresh leads every other day. You know, we, we tend to manage leads based on the age of the lead, which is irrelevant to the customer's buying cycle. We don't know if they're two days out or two months out, right? And so why are we managing our frequency of contact based on, what, our schedule? Oh, you're a hot lead, so I'm going to go after you. But, you know, after 30 days, I want to give up on you. So... You know, when when you have you should be managing leads based on situations on your lot, because think about it, my physical lot yes. to your point, talking about rearranging the lot and putting these here and there. If my large pickup trucks are sitting, guess what I'm doing with them? I'm going to move them all to the front line. I'm going to put some in the showroom. I'm going to put one on the, you know, in the special sales row. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell my salespeople every up you get, show them this pickup truck. Yeah, but they're here on a Miata. I don't care. They might have an uncle that wants a truck. Go show them that truck. OK, so. We do that on our physical lot, but we don't do that on virtual lot because there's never been ability to do that. 
again, handling leads since the 90s, we have a CRM that's a silo that handles leads and, and that's it. It doesn't talk cars. You can't go in any CRM that I know of and say, give me my large pickup truck leads or give me the leads that I have on 50 to $55,000 cars. And that's a shame. And that's, again, the problem that we're solving is taking that, that CRM data and saying, hey, you know what, let's match it up with my inventory data. I'm heavy in 2018. So, okay, well, let's isolate those leads and increase my contact ratio in 18s on any lead I have. So I'm not just, um, you know, dropping my prices and costing gross, which is really the decision right now. That's the other point you're talking the about. model. Yes. Active leads on sold cars. Okay. Well, let's say I do have a 40 day old truck without any leads. The first instinct is to go look at market data and then drop my price so I can get some more leads. Maybe I'm too high priced for the guy down the street. So let's drive price to get me some more leads. What we're not looking at is what we call those switch opportunities. If 60 to 70%, okay, let's do the raw numbers. Let's say you have a hundred leads. That means 60 to 70 of them are on cars that they can't buy any longer. The truck that they're interested in sold last week and mm -hmm. all we're doing is automated email hey you still in the market for that 18 f-150 and they're like blowing us off because they know it's gone they went to your site two days ago and it's no longer there so why not take that active lead you know the segment large pickup truck you know the price point maybe 30 grand you know their contact information you know their name and and that's the best lead to have and, and now you instead of just trying to sell them that 18 f-150 now you're trying to help them buy something hey that 18 f-150 sold now what mm -hmm. are you interested in other trucks so if i got a 40 50 day old truck with no leads do i drop the price or work the 10 or 15 switch leads that i have customers looking for a similar vehicle the similar price point try to switch them because again our physical lot we do that we don't up a customer no, we, we do say, that, oh, that car sold yesterday and walk away well, I mean, I remember this happening in the physical lot all the time. I would come in and uh, get all the way through financing. Boss, uh, $650 a month is just going to be too much for this guy. Well, you know, and what would be the first thing he would say to me? Well, you need to go show him that car. Yeah, five right? grand cheaper. You know, five grand cheaper. All right. You know, it's going to be a hundred bucks less. All right. Go show him that one. And it was just an immediate switch. But at some point in time over the last 10 years, it's like, we kind of like lost that mentality, don't you think? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's because we just became more shopping and checking out model versus I don't know. When do you think that switch and we lost that? Well, the obviously COVID, I think, did it because consumers yeah, switched themselves. You know, yeah. cars were moving fast, so they said, "Okay, that one's sold," and they go hopping and buying another one themselves. But yeah, I mean, I, I think once a high percentage of our leads were coming in through the internet. We stopped being salespeople. We just went through a script to schedule appointments. Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. All we did, especially dealerships with BDC, they just have in a script to work that lead to schedule an appointment. Okay. And then those people that are sitting in the BDC departments typically never sold cars before. And they think as a lot of times our dealers are like, here, let's hire people that never been in business before. And I'll train them how to do it my <laughs> way instead of bringing in dirty laundry, right? Their old habits. So, um, we trained them a script and said, get on the phone and just give me an appointment. Every question they ask, say, great, when can you be here? Well, I'm just wondering what my trade is. Oh, no problem. We'll figure it out. When can you be here? Right. And so um, we've avoided pricing. We've avoided switching. We've avoided trading conversations just to get the appointment. Customers sometimes will just tell you a day and time just to get off the phone so they can go to the next deal that might give them that information. So I, I think that whole BDC mindset has trapped us into that. And then COVID too, you know, if, if you don't want this car, I got somebody else in line right behind you and give up on them and just move on. Right. So um, I think to your point, 10 years ago is, you know, when eight years ago, 
mm-hmm. or 12, 15 years ago when dealers are starting to do appointment setter, BDC type appointments, uh, departments. I think we lost it then. And then COVID made it worse too. The customers will just move on. It had to start their buying cycle all over again. And if they were treated like crap or their car sell out from underneath them, hey, I called you, I was on my way tonight. Well, I'm sorry, it sold it two today. You know, they get pissed and they get move on to the next dealer and they're, they're switching themselves. So, you know, those sales skills are kind of just lost their way. They've, they've, they've faded away. They faded away. I mean, I remember I had, it's probably about 08, 09. I remember this guy came in and he, we had this used boxer on the lot and it was like a periwinkle blue. Um, pretty ugly. Gotta be honest with you. Pretty ugly. Right. But he did want a boxer and the price was definitely right. And I could tell it's just as much as he wanted the car, he hated this color. Right. And I remember said like, just finally getting down to it. It's like, dude, I want a black one. You know? So what did I do? I went online and I found a black one, another dealership down, like literally on the other side of uh, other side of the city, drove him over there. And I'm like, is that the one you want? Yeah. Right. I'm going to get it for you. And brokered a deal without even being on the lot. But, but I mean, that was this kind of, let's call it like solution engineering mindset that I felt was like very common you know, for that time frame, And, you know, and when the technology came around, man, it made my life that much easier. I didn't have to drive <laughs> all the way to the other side of town. I could go on a website and just click a button, tell them I wanted to buy that other dealership. Well, so, not only, you know, working the lot versus the lead, you want to work the driveway also and not just 100%. the lead. And my uh, example of that is just my wife. You know, her lease was up in June. Of course, in January, we get a letter from Volvo saying we can turn the lease in six months early and go to a new Volvo or certified Volvo. Of course, that then triggered my wife to start shopping. We weren't going to go back to a new Volvo. Matter of fact, we're either going to lease a car or buy a used. So we start looking at 35 to 50 grand high end used, you know, BMWs, Mercedes. She was all over Jaguar. She was looking at all different kinds of SUVs and that 35 to 50 grand price point. And so, you know, after a couple of weeks of her shopping and going to dealership, she was at the Porsche store. She called me. She's like, this salesman's getting frustrated with me because I just, I don't know what I want. And I'm, I'm keep asking to drive different things. And I'm like, well, of course you're, you're like, you know, the season pass You're you're, you're riding everything and she don't think you can buy. And so she's getting frustrated with you. And to the point where, again, nobody followed up with her, but yet we went ahead and bought at another dealer in, in February and I had two car payments till 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 June. But my point is I I did myself was responsible for four deals and 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 12 months. So my wife, let's just I, I co-signed it for my son private previous to that. So in February I buy my wife a car. We ended up turning the lease to the Bobo. But I have a daughter who's my 21 and her her lease on a HRV that we lease for her um, is coming up. And mm-hmm. so I have a 16 year old. I'm going to buy this HRV. Matter of fact, I get to buy it for like 16 grand and they're retailing for 23 to 25 right now. So I'm buying that. I'm going to give it to my 16 year old because it's got 40, it's a 2020 with 40 something thousand miles that my own daughter drove. And I, you know, I, there, she can't get a better car for that price. So I'm going to buy that. And then I got to go find my other daughter, another car. So my point is the people that sold us the BMW, they actually mm-hmm. sold us the car, never followed up with us still. The lady at the Porsche store that bring my wife basically never followed up with us. And so they're missing out on two opportunities because either I can go back to this Honda store, buy the car. I can call my bank and just say, hey, give me a check for 16 grand and then call Honda and go, here you go. Or do I take it in the Honda dealership 
and try to buy it through them and then rewrap my daughter. You know what I'm saying? So there's three deals in my driveway that if you didn't work the lead and move my wife to loss and just worked her lead, you might have your foot in the door to those two other deals. It's, it's, it's that kind of single minded kind of approach, which I think is affecting um, not only the way that we sell, but also the way that um, we are uh, loading the lot. All right. The way that we're f- fulfilling it. Um, also, the way that we're managing it. You know, we, we, we seem to kind of get blindsided and just kind of focused on these one thing. So we're not thinking of the bigger, grander scheme. And I th- and, and I think, you know, guys, I know we're getting towards the telling of our conversation, but I mean, you know, for for this for this episode of the up bus, it's it's that mindset of, you know, really thinking beyond just what is in front of you. And it's working the lot. It's working the customer's driveway. It's working what's coming in on trade. I mean, I can't tell you as a used car manager how many times I'd sell a car before I even had the car in my position. All right. Because I knew what was coming in, you know, so it's like it's 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 that type, that type of thing. And so when we're talking about the evolution of used car inventory management, um, if you were to pick maybe two of the biggest things you've seen have evolved or maybe needs to evolve, evolve. All right. What would you say needs to evolve right now when it comes to used car inventory management, Jason, before we let everyone go? On leads on used car inventory management, quit managing lead based on the age of the lead. Work every lead uh, um, until they buy, die, and subscribe. I wouldn't even mark them lost or anything. So I think, you know, that's the other, so that's the two points. As an inventory manager, realize your true opportunities on that vehicle. Not just the leads you have, but the leads that you can switch to this vehicle. Um, and then as the, the second thing would be as a lead manager, you know, why weed through the 100 tasks you got to do today, three day phone call, 17 day email, 14 day call, 20 day email, text, whatever. You know, all you're doing is kind of moving the lever, punching the clock. It's like factory work. And it has no rhyme or reason the customer's buying cycle has no rhyme or reasons the situations on the lot. Matter of fact, the other number that we found is we get 60 to 80 percent, 70 to 80 percent of the activity being done in that department has nothing to do with the current car sitting on their lot. You know, if they did 120 calls and emails, 20, 30 of them have to do with cars in stock. A lot of them has to do with cars already sold, we're just following up, we're touching base, even though we might not have any other cars to offer them. We're calling three-day anniversaries uh, or, you know, these uh, three-day survey reminders or, you know, one-year anniversaries, birthday calls. I mean, just mm-hmm. a lot of unnecessary work. It's good to do, but if I'm, especially if I'm getting paid for scheduling appointments and, and selling cars due to low hanging fruit. Why don't you call the leads that you have cars in stock? Or why don't we call the leads that we have in stock that are on cars that we have situations or problems with like large pickup trucks. And after I'm done with that, why don't we then call and email the customers that maybe aren't a car that's sold, but I got three other cars I can talk to them about. And so again, that kind of goes into maybe getting ahead here is the up bus. You'd literally, yes. I mean, you don't sit out, you don't have to sit outside waiting for these customers to pull up. You've got a database yourself of active leads out there looking for cars. And and, and if they don't find it on your lot because it's sold and you don't care to follow up with them anymore, they're getting in that bus and they're going to go drive to another dealer, pull up and, hey, I'm here on this car, right? So you might as well be, they have to buy something else. Now, forget new cars. And I say forget new cars because you can transition them over to use. But what I'm saying is this isn't a factory. They can't just say, ah, that car sold. Let me just order one. I'm willing to wait, right? They have to buy a different color, different equipment, different miles, something's going to be different on that vehicle. It might be a totally different vehicle anyways. Um, they just need a truck around 30 grand. They like Fords, but they'll take a Chevy or a Dodge too. So 
why not open those doors and re and especially now when lead counts going down activity on shopper is going down and it will through the end of the year here why not recycle the customers already reached out to you again you know their name contact information segment of vehicle price range they're looking for now you get to help them buy a car instead of just trying to sell them something so you know that's the biggest thing i think the transition needs to be moved mm -hmm. is to as an inventory manager understand the lead aspect of it because here's the problem the inventory tool doesn't talk leads nope it doesn't tell you you have four leads that no one's followed up with with 10 days. You don't, it doesn't tell you you got five other people you might be able to switch to this car. It doesn't tell you you don't have any leads, but you got eight other people. So what do you do with no leads? You drop your price, right? And so that mind shift has to change. And then you got to take advantage of lead management too. Don't just be doing tasks to do tasks, clearing the clock. As a matter of fact, I'll give two examples real quick. I'll pull dealer inventory. There's two, two examples and I have multiples, but there's a 30 day old lead on a like a seven eight grand mercedes benz eight grand mercedes benz it's sold we don't have any switch opportunity we have nothing else to talk to this customer about but we called them a day ago why because i was supposed to do a 30-day call same as a 40-day old it was like a um, chevy traverse or something and it was a seven grand vehicle that sold or equinox or something and i have no other seven grand suv to talk to the customer about but yet i called them a day ago so my question to those teams was what'd you call them about you don't the car's mm -hmm. gone and you have nothing in the meantime i could take a car that's in stock it's 50 plus days old you have two leads in there that are 30 and 50 days old and you haven't contacted them in 28 days and so here's a car in stock we haven't called in 28 days plus you got two other vehicles to talk about if that car doesn't work anymore but yet you haven't called them in 28 days so again the only reason we didn't follow up is i'm busy doing my 30-day and 40-day call not call my large pickup truck leads so again, I think those are the two areas. It's just like inventory yes. management should be lead management and lead management should be inventory management. They should go hand in hand. Those two departments almost should be in the same office together in my eyes now. Uh, and, and you're right. And you know what? And they do need to be two individuals. I think there's two very different kind of skill sets that kind of go along with that. I think too often right now we're trying to shove everything into a singular role and there's just too much between managing the technology managing the process and then of course managing the people and the process and technology all right that is just a lot and you know we've touched a little bit on uh, the evolution of the used car manager we've touched up a little a bit on how those management models have changed over the years and you know we've discussed you know both the data and the data and technology that's available out there you know but it definitely does come down to a people process and technology and there are three things that we have to manage and we have to manage them effectively to be successful and so that we're not sitting around waiting for this up bus right we're being proactive with it well jason uh this this has been great this has been so much fun i'm really looking forward to this entire series if you're out there watching listening right now um i'm excited about the series i know jason is uh we're super excited about helping anybody and everybody in the industry to uh stop waiting for the up bus all right Get it's already there Yes, Don't wait it's, for it. it's already here and the up bus is in your dealership right now. <laughs> and we're going to help you navigate that over this entire series. Jason, thanks so much, man. It's been a lot of fun. I'll talk to you real soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the up bus podcast with your hosts, Jason Harris and Jason Rice. To stay up to date with all our content, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.